Hear from the word of the Lord, Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Brothers and sisters, no matter what you walk through today, the Lord is with you. He calls us today to remember who He is and that we belong to Him. What a foundation we have in His name, in His word, and in His work. Let us rejoice together. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not, fear not, I am with Oh, be not dismayed, for I am your God and will still give the aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous omnipotent When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be near thee, thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. It's true. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes that soul though all hell should endeavor to shake i'll never no never no never that soul that soul though all hell should endeavor to shake i'll never no never no never forsake Praise God for not forsaking his children. If you are a child of God, know that God is your firm foundation. Greetings to everyone that is tuning in. We miss you all dearly. I think a lot of people who weren't huggers before will be huggers when this is all done. If you are tuning in and uh, you aren't a member of DSE, maybe someone recommended our church to you or you heard about what we're doing in the community so you are checking us out I want to encourage you if you have any questions please email info at dscabq.com we would love to tell you about how to be a Christian about our church or any answer any other questions you may have well well Desert Springs you have encouraged me greatly 
You know, we cast a vision for serving the Navajo that are in a great crisis right now, and you have responded graciously. We have been overwhelmed with the generosity of our church. For about three weeks, we've been bringing truckloads of food to the Navajo, and this past week, because of the acute crisis, we said, we need more food, and you guys responded. And we were able to send out three trucks, a cargo van, and a trailer full of food to the res that Tuesday. Praise God, and thank you so much for your participation in this ministry. We are continuing to raise food for the Navajo every Tuesday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., right out in front of our church. So please participate, bring food, tell your friends about this. We've had so many people that are going to other churches and they're excited about that and they're bringing food here and they're trying to get us to get their churches involved. So talk about this. This is worth our attention. And when you bring the food, we, we send the food out to the res that Tuesday and then it goes to a distribution center at a Christian school and families can come and pick up the food and pastors can come and get food and bring it to their congregations and people in their community. So please join me in praying for the pastors that they would have gospel opportunities to share about why they are doing this and how God loves sinners like us. Pray that God would open hearts and that people would be saved through this. And pray that believers would be rejuvenated and that they would be rejuvenated by God's word as they are removed from the distractions of this world. May they dive into God's word and be encouraged. So join me as I pray. God, we pray for open hearts for the Navajo. We pray that you would convict them of their sin, those who are outside of your family, that you would save them. We pray for the saints on the res. We pray that you would help them as they serve their churches and their community. Lord, we pray that they would be encouraged despite all the hardship. We pray that you would give them gospel opportunities to be able to share about the change you've made in their lives and share your beautiful word with their, their neighbors. Lord, we pray for the pastors that you would keep them safe from harm, that you would keep them safe from this virus, that, you would, uh, that they would not grow weary doing good, but that they would be encouraged and give them gospel opportunities. Lord, we pray for Los Ranchos Elementary and the needy there. We thank you for our partnership with them. We pray that you would provide for them as you provide for the birds of the field. Lord, we pray that you give us opportunities to serve them. Give us gospel opportunities again. Give us opportunities to invite them to church. And Lord, we pray for this service. We pray that you would open hearts that are watching this very service, that you would renew your saints, that you would do a good work, that you would expand your kingdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Now please join me in uh, reading 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, 
you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. For the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him, from the dead, and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Amen. Let us continue to sing out and sing to a holy God. Who else commands all the hosts of heaven? Who else can make every king bow down? Who else can whisper and darkness trembles? Only a holy God. What other beauty demands such praises? What other splendor outshines the sun? What other majesty rules with justice? Only a holy God. Come behold. Come and behold the one and the only. the glory consumes with fire what other power can raise the dead what other name remains undefeated only a holy God come and could rescue me from my failing and who else would offer his only son and who else invites me to call him father only a holy God yes only my holy Come 
worship the Holy God. Come and worship the Holy God. And this Holy God condescended to us to lift us up from the flood of our sin and to put us on the rock. What a rock. What a Savior we have in Jesus. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground. Is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds. Within the veil, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in. The raging flood When all around My soul gives away He then is all My hope and stay On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground Is sinking sand All other ground Is sinking sand shall come when he shall come with trumpet sound oh may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone all less to stand before the throne Lord Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is the ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. If you believe that, say amen. Well, he is coming again. And while we wait We long for his coming. There will be suffering. And oftentimes that suffering is in the form of injustice. So let us spend some time in prayer now. I'll lead us as we pray and cry out to God for his mercy. How long, O Lord? How long will the innocent suffer and the wicked flourish? How long will your people be falsely accused, oppressed, betrayed, 
and even murdered without recompense. How long will justice be delayed? Oh Lord, how long? We say how long because we know it is a matter of when you will bring justice and not if you will bring justice. You are just. You have been just and you will be just. So help us to wait, Father. Help us to trust in your timing. Lord, forgive us when we seek to avenge ourselves and help us to leave that in your good and just hands. You will avenge. You will defend. You will set every record straight. You are just. We can trust you because of your steadfast love, because of your faithfulness to all your people, to all who believe. Lord, help us to see the eternal bounty of grace and justice that was poured out on your people on the cross. Though we have sinned, we will stand faultless before the throne, clothed in the robes of Christ's righteousness. When our eyes are weary from grief and tears of sorrow wash our faces, when heaven seems silent, when you, Lord, seem to have forgotten us, show us your son. Show us the blood that brought us peace. O great justifier, be glorified in our waiting. Be glorified in our suffering, in our longing. Hold us in your grace and show us your face, your presence, your peace, now and forever. Amen. I fear my faith will fail Christ will hold me fast When the tempter would prevail He will hold me fast I could never keep my home Through life's fearful path For my love is often cold he must hold me fast He will hold me fast He will hold me fast For my Savior loves me so He will hold me fast Those He saves our heads Christ will hold me fast Precious in His holy side He will hold me fast He'll not let my soul be lost His promises shall last But by Him at such a cost He will hold me fast
Christ will hold me fast Justice has been satisfied He will hold me Yes, do you believe it? Raised with Him to endless life He will hold me fast Till our faith is turned to side When He comes at Yes, O oh Lord, we thank you for your hold on us. We could never hold ourselves up. We could never hold sufficiently tight to you. But you, the omnipotent God, and this world's Savior, and our shepherd, you hold us. We thank you. We pray, Lord, that you would be near to us this day. We pray you'd speak to us afresh in your word. We pray, Lord, you would convict the stubborn, comfort those who are weary. You would strengthen the weak. We pray, Lord Jesus, you would build your church as you promised to do. We pray you do it by your spirit, through your word, and for your glory today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you would, turn with me, if you have a Bible, to Psalm 94. We're in Psalm 94 this morning as we work our way through the Psalms in the 90s and on into Psalm 100. You know, while the coronavirus crisis has rightly captured many of the headlines in the news, most of us by now have also been made aware of the death of Ahmad Arbery a 25-year-old black man who was shot and killed by two white men. The assailants were arrested and charged with murder this past week, 74 days after the shooting. 74 days, and two district attorneys who recused themselves from the case. One district attorney writing a shoddy memo explaining the lack of prosecution at that time. And don't take my legal analysis, which is worth nothing, uh, calling it a shoddy memo. You can look up an article on the web by David French, which gives an excellent and expert analysis of what's going on in that case. And what you'll find is what changed from a shoddy memo without charges to the arrest of these two men was that a video emerged, and many of us have seen it. It's chilling. Yes, we believe in this country that people are innocent till proven guilty. 
but it would certainly seem, based on the video and based on the facts that we know so far, that these two men have at least been rightly charged. And without the video, you just have to wonder, would anyone ever have been charged? Well, if this example is a little too fresh or sensitive for you, then feel free to insert any other instance of what you know to be unjust. O.J. Simpson was found not guilty, at least in his legal trial. And he would have remained a free man if he didn't commit other crimes after the murder of his wife and Ron Goldman. Osama bin Laden was responsible for countless deaths, thousands of deaths, inestimable pain. And he was executed summarily, quickly, perhaps with very little pain. Some in our church They know all too well personal injustices of various kinds, child abuse, sexual abuse, the loss of a son or a daughter, perhaps due to a drunk driver, a business partner who takes everything, including the records that would prove what he did, a former spouse falsely accuses the other spouse of abusing their children, and those children are taken from him or her. For many of us, there is little to no hope of full justice to be achieved in this life. So let's just feel that for a moment, even if we can't relate to any one of these. Let's try to empathize. Let's try to feel something of the frustration and the brokenness of this life. Something is not right. Cornelius Plantiga, a philosopher, he wrote a book on sin. What would you title a book on sin? He titled his, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. Not the way it's supposed to be. In this fallen world, so much of life is not the way it's supposed to be. Not the way God originally created it before the fall. We know this from our own sin to the sin of others. So much of life is not the way it's supposed to be. Now praise God, not everything is wrong in this fallen world. Not totally wrong. There isn't total and constant injustice in this world. I'm thankful to live in a country that's at least better than some others at executing justice. But that only proves my point that even when we're at our best as fallen human beings, justice is sometimes evaded and perverted. And so we should try to improve our systems, yes. We should try to elect better people, indeed. But we shouldn't be surprised when we find ourselves once again crying out, where is the justice? When will there be justice? The question is not if any of us will experience 
grave injustices, because we will, the question is, what shall we do with them? Where do we go with them? Where, to whom do we turn with them? Well, Psalm 94 helps us. Let me read it for us. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord doesn't see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought, my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord, our God, will wipe them out. Well, Psalm 94 sits within several psalms about God's rule and reign in his creation. And Psalm 94 is the one that wrestles with that the most. It wrestles with God's rule in a world of pain. It wrestles with a perceived disconnect that on the one hand, God is good, in control, wise. He is this world's judge and yet, sin runs amok. Justice is perverted. Things are upside down. They're not the way they're supposed to be. We can break the passage up into four sections, starting with a cry for justice. It starts with a cry. There's a progression among these four sections. We'll see that develop, but it starts with a cry. For justice. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, 
O judge of the earth, repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exalt? Now you might wonder how someone could pray like that. And if so, thank God for that luxury. It's a luxury not afforded by all. Some know these words and this experience and these prayers all too well. There are portions of Scripture that for some of us, they seem foreign, they seem wrong-headed. And that's at least in part because our lives have been relatively easy. I don't mean to minimize anything you have gone through or are going through, but it certainly takes some significantly bad experiences to instinctively pray for God to expedite his judgment. But that's what the psalmist has experienced. Some really bad experiences. Verse 4 to 7 describe these opposers, these enemies. Whether they were outside of Israel or within, it matters not. They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. They crush your people. They afflict your heritage, O Lord. They kill the widow and the sojourner, and they murder the fatherless. These are bad dudes. Their crimes are nasty and heinous. So that's one thing we have to keep in mind when coming to these kinds of prayers which ask God to expedite his judgment. It's that the ones they're praying against are against God. They're praying against what is against God. What is severely and heinously against God. Their enemies are not petty enemies. Former friends who've had a breaking up. You know, those who maybe have gossiped about you. People who just annoy you. Or they vote the other party. Or those with whom you disagree about the best way to reopen the economy during a pandemic. These are bad people. And it's right to pray that God would stop them. He's not praying like this out of personal revenge. In fact, in this psalm, the concern is mostly for other people. He's concerned for God's people in general. He's concerned for specifically the widow, the sojourner, the fatherless, the most helpless. He's concerned for the Lord's heritage. Heritage, that's covenantal language. God's people. And so he's concerned for God. For God's purposes, God's promises, God's progress in this world. Another thing to keep in mind when coming to prayers of judgment like this one is that they're praying for what God has already promised. They're praying for what is going to come because God says so. God is the judge of the earth. This psalm doesn't make him that. God is a God of vengeance or retribution or payment or punishment. He is that because he said so, because he is. 
He will one day rise up and shine forth in judgment. And whatever that looks like, it will be what they deserve. That's what it says here. The Bible makes no apologies for it. There is a final reckoning coming. There is final justice in the end. And some will wince at that idea. Some reject Christianity solely for its insistence about this place called hell. Our culture often celebrates not judging. No judgment. This is a judgment-free zone, people like to claim. The only judgment that some would make is to judge those who would dare say that there is anything to judge, that there is a judgment to come. But if there is no judgment to come, if there is no God who is judge, then where is true and final justice? No cosmic justice? If it's this life and these human courts that are our only hope for justice, well, we should be pretty depressed. We should be utterly frustrated. But the Bible and the God of the Bible extends to us hope of justice outside and beyond this life, outside our human courts. And that end time divine justice will be perfect. Perfect. This judge, he's not capricious. He's not grumpy. He's not a pushover. He's not easily bought or paid off. So there's another thing to keep in mind when coming to prayers of judgment like this one. They do not seek personal revenge. They commit final judgment to God. They pray for God to do what is right, what he promised, and what is inevitable. And they sometimes pray that the inevitable would be expedited. Because sometimes it feels like a reckoning is too far off. Like it'll never come. Sometimes it feels like the injustices just keep getting stacked and stacked and stacked to the clouds and through the clouds. And thus the Psalms often say to God, How long? How long, O Lord? How long? And this acknowledges that final justice is in God's hands. It's in his timing. It's up to him. We don't know when. That's why we say how long. But this also humbly acknowledges that it feels like it's taking too long. It feels like there are too many judicial IOUs out there. Astonishingly, even the saints in heaven seem to wonder and ask God about the timeline. Revelation 6 records the words of martyred Christians, that is, Christians who were killed for believing and speaking what they believe. And they say, 
O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants would be complete. The full number of martyrs has not yet reached its sum. That's true even today. Psalm 94 is like an Old Testament version of Revelation 6. You could say Psalm 94 is a prayer for Old Testament martyrs. Notice it's not really about any form of injustice, as I have sometimes been suggesting. It's specifically those injustices experienced by those who are the Lord's people and experienced because they are the Lord's people. It's injustice specifically of the persecuted variety here. Now, all injustices will be put aright in the end. But it should be especially comforting that the fiercest and most violent persecution will not, in the end, it will not prosper. That which is most overtly against God in his purposes, in his people, in the end, it will not win out. And therefore, any other version of injustice will not win out. And that's true even when it feels like it's all just a bit too much, just like it's been a little too long. As I said, our psalm moves on to more sure and more confident and more secure tones as it progresses, and it lands on certainties by the end, but it begins with questions. It begins with a cry. It begins with... With lament. But where it turns next might be a bit surprising because it turns to those persecutors. He spoke of them to God in verses 3 to 7, and now he speaks to them directly in verses 8 to 11. In this section, secondly, we see a call to those under judgment. He says in verse 8, Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? Well, this is language similar to that in Psalm 92. In verse 6, that psalm said, The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand. Now remember, if you were with us, stupid there doesn't, doesn't mean low IQ, but it means animal-like, brutish, without understanding. Without reason, the fool in a passage like Psalm 92, verse 6, is the proverbial fool, the one Proverbs talks about, who is willfully and stubbornly going against God's ways. So this isn't mockery or name-calling, but, but these are theological categories related to spiritual perception or lack thereof. And Psalm 94 uses that language, but turns it into a plea. He's pleading here, understand, when will you be wise? He's he's reasoning as well. Back in verse 7, 
the wicked, they said, the Lord doesn't see. The God of Jacob doesn't perceive. Well, now he reasons, verses 9 to 11. He who planted the ear, doesn't he hear? He who formed the eye, doesn't he see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? The Lord knows the thoughts of man. You think he doesn't see? He made eyes. Do you think he doesn't hear? He's the one who gives ears. It's not just a rebuke. It's a call to those under judgment. And it's a call with a measure of hope. Understand, he says. That's a, an exhortation. You don't understand, he's saying, but you should. You're not wise, but you should get wise to this. The one who rebukes and judges and sees and hears and knows, he also teaches, verse 10. You see how that's a call? There's hope there. Even these people, described in verses 4 to 7 in such wicked terms, murdering the fatherless and the widow and the sojourn, even them, there's a call, there's hope. They're presently under judgment and pretending he's not there, pretending he doesn't see, he doesn't care, that doesn't make him go away. Thinking that because he hasn't bothered you yet, that he won't ever, that's a mistake, a serious mistake, but one you don't have to make. Psalm 7 is another psalm where in the midst of praying for God's final judgment on people, hope is held out. Listen to this, Psalm 7, starting in verse 9. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous. Verse 11, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. Here it is. If a man does not repent, implying he can, he should, he must. But if he does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. If a man does not repent, to repent is to turn. That's what the word means. To turn from and to turn to. You see, we're all born in this world turned from God. Every one of us. It looks differently, one person to another. Some have a religious version of being turned from God. Some have a rather nasty-looking version. But we're all turned from God, and if something doesn't change, we're doomed and so we need a turning from and a turning toward God, and specifically toward his son Jesus, if we're thinking in terms of the whole Bible. Or for that matter, if we're just thinking in terms of the whole book of Psalms. Psalm 2 spoke of the nations raging, the peoples plotting against the Lord and against his anointed, his king who's later called his 
son. So the nations, the world, every one of us, we're born plotting against the Lord and his anointed, throwing off their call on our lives. Psalm 2 goes on. But he who sits in the heavens laughs. He holds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath. He will say, I have set my king on Zion. So be wise. You've been warned. Kiss the sun, lest you perish. Kiss the sun. Bow before the king. Honor him, lest you perish. Blessed are all who take refuge in him, Psalm 2 concludes. So all of us, again, are in opposition to God and his ways and his king. Our opposition is futile. Judgment is inevitable. But reconciliation with God is possible through his anointed, his king, his son. Now let me show you that same kind of stuff from the book of 1 Thessalonians, a book of the New Testament where uh, in previous weeks, before our days in the Psalms, we were working our way through 1 Thessalonians. If you were with us, you remember the end of chapter 1 where Paul writes to these new Christians and says how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Repent, turn, conversion. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. There is wrath to come. There is deliverance to be had beforehand. In chapter 5 of that same letter, Paul can say, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. He took our death. And so, this whole thing of the Lord's return is transformed into something hopeful and beautiful for those who have, for those who have the salvation, for those who've come to believe. This is how Paul puts it in the next letter, 2 Thessalonians 1. He speaks of the day when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. One end-time event, two very different experiences and outcomes on that day, and those two very different outcomes are based on two different responses to Jesus and what we call his gospel. The gospel is good news that Jesus died in our place, that God is just and the justifier Jesus bore the penalty of our guilt. He bore God's wrath. He didn't simply die on the cross, though he did. But he was forsaken by the Father as he bore our sin. 
He was forsaken so that we would be accepted. He paid our debt so that we would free, be free and run to him. That means that all sin in this world will be punished. You, you, you go ahead, you choose. Either you will bear it yourself or you give it to Jesus who has borne it on that cross. Thirdly, we come to comfort in God's discipline. Comfort. Verse 12, blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, in whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from the days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. Here he turns his attention back to the people of God who, yes, have gone through great troubles, but those troubles he now sees from a different angle. He calls it discipline. You see that? Blessed is the man whom you discipline. This means that their suffering is not an indication of God's abandonment or his forgetfulness or his apathy. It's his discipline. That's his correction. And those corrected by the Lord, verse 12, they are blessed, happy, favored, right with him. And his discipline is proof of his commitment to, as it says in verse 14, to not forsake his people, to not abandon his heritage. It's proof that the hardship won't last forever. Verse 13, he will give them rest from the days of trouble. Now, we don't know when this psalm was written, but we do know when and how it was used. Let me explain what I mean. The present organization of the book of Psalms in our Bibles into five books. So if you back up to Psalm 90, you'll see that begins a book. There are five books. Well, that construction, that architecture, comes out of the days of what we call the exile or the Babylonian captivity. When the Israelites were taken as slaves from Jerusalem and brought to Babylon. And Jerusalem laid in waste. Well, you can think of each of the five books of the Psalms as representing different time periods, general time periods. In book four, which is Psalms 90 to 106, that book specifically represents those days during the Babylonian captivity. I'll just show you the homework here. Look at the end of book four, which is Psalm 106. In verse 47, save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations. They're not back yet. They're still in Babylon. And book 5 begins, Psalm 107, verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands. So book 5 celebrates the end of exile and captivity in a return to the land. But if book four is situated in a context, at least used in that context of Babylonian 
captivity, we have to keep always in mind, why were they captive in Babylon? Well, God was behind it. God was using it. That was his instrument of discipline and discipline for their sin. This is how it's described in Psalm 107, verse 11. They rebelled against the words of God and they spurred the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. That's a story of the Babylonian captivity. Sin, discipline, restoration. So while we don't know when Psalm 94 was written, we know when and how it was used. It reflected a season of discipline. On the one hand, you can call the experience of Psalm 94, you call it persecution and pray for it to stop. On the other hand, you can call it discipline and know that God is using it. It's not an indication of God's abandonment or forgetfulness or apathy. It's not proof that he forsakes his people. It's proof he doesn't forsake his people. It's part of his path toward their blessedness. The theme of discipline carries into the New Testament. Hebrews 12. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, you're not sons. We've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and, were, and we respected them. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now we should clarify that not all suffering is discipline. You can think of the examples of Job. Job suffered at the beginning of the story precisely because he was righteous, not because he was being disciplined. You think of the Apostle Paul and how much he suffered. Again, he suffered for righteousness' sake, not because he was being punished. But all suffering is redemptive, it is refining for the Christian. We can call those things trials. In James 1 would be one place which speaks of trials of various kinds that we can actually consider joy, knowing that it works patience, and patience produces perseverance. Romans 5 says something similar. Romans 8.28 classically promises all things work together for our eternal spiritual good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So all suffering is redemptive. It's refining. But some suffering is corrective. It's discipline. It is God's means to get our attention when we've begun to go astray. It's like a dog. You speak commands to your dog, and if your dog is 
decently trained. The dog does what you say. Maybe you just slightly raise your voice or repeat yourself. But if you're on a walk and that dog is being stubborn, you're going to jerk the, the leash. It needs attention. Well, God, sometimes he pulls on the leash of our spiritual necks because our eyes have gotten off of him. We're not following his lead. We're not staying on the safe sidewalk. Now, it's not easy to, to always know when suffering is discipline and when it's not. There are those with a softer conscience who will be likely more prone to think that anything hard is God's punishment of them. Be careful. But there are those who are a little less sensitive than they should be, and they don't even notice the tug of the master's leash upon their neck until it gets, well, almost breakneck force. Wherever you find yourself in that spectrum, we should be aware of the category of discipline and prayerfully consider in days of hardship whether the Lord is trying to get our attention because our eyes are drifting from him. And when we might conclude that it is his discipline, heed it. Heed it before it gets worse. Heed it before his discipline is the worst kind of discipline, which is no discipline at all. Hands off the leash. He lets us go. Don't let it come to that. But find comfort in his leash. It's not punishment. It's correction. It's for restoration. There is comfort in his discipline. And with that principle of redemptive discipline firmly in mind, notice how the psalmist confidently applies this in this last section. So fourth, there's confidence in God's personal care. Verse 16 and following, who rises up for me against the wicked? Implied is that no one does, but the Lord does. Who stands up for me against evildoers? Implied no one does, but the Lord does. He says in verse 17, If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. I, I would have been dead. Verse 18, When I thought, my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. In verse 19, When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Notice that the trouble has not disappeared. The wicked, evil doers, verse 16, they're still a potential threat. Verse 17, he still needs help. He's, verse 18, he's still battling worry about his foot slipping. Probably a metaphor for just all of life being pulled out from underneath you. He still has cares of the heart, worries. But there are consolations to meet those cares, and his soul is cheered. He's assured that though the wicked evildoers are still around, the Lord rises up and stands with him 
The Lord has been his help. The Lord, in his steadfast love, has comforted him when he was about to slip. There's progression. Starts with a cry. There's a call to the wicked. There is comfort in the Lord's discipline, which gives meaning and perspective to the suffering he's going through. And in light of that, he's happy and confident in celebrating God's personal and intimate care. You see how personal it is? You see how intimate this is? You see how constant God's care is? This is moment-by-moment stuff. This is God walking with him in his trouble. And while the circumstances around are still very much choppy waves, there's a stillness within. There's a fitting conclusion and summary in the last few verses. They, the world, the enemies... Evildoers, they band together against the life of the righteous. They condemn the innocent to death. You see that? That's societal societal injustice. But the Lord has become my stronghold, my God, the rock of my refuge. And he will, in the end, he doesn't know when, how long, I don't know. But he will bring on them their iniquity and wipe them out He will wipe them out. He's sure. And Christian friend, we can be all the more sure of the Lord's final justice. His final victory over all his enemies. Because Jesus Christ has taken on and defeated Greater enemies than the great Babylon. Jesus, in his cross and resurrection, has defeated death and sin and Satan. Colossians 2.15 tells us that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. In 1 Peter 3, Peter says Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. He's reigning there with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. There is no authority, no power, no thing that would rival him that has not been put under his So how much more can we say the words of this psalm? How much more can we be assured he's risen up for us? He stands for us because he hung for us. He has been our help, our eternal saving help. Our foot was about to slip out from underneath us into eternal destruction and judgment. And he has held us fast, solid, firm. And so now when our cares are multiplied, and they still are, right? 
our hearts are consoled by his steadfast love. We say again, afresh, the Lord has become my stronghold and my rock and my refuge. So there's a progression in the psalm. Where do you find yourself today? Crying out? Even questioning? Perhaps you've moved yourself a little further down the road and you're willing to look out to this world and call out to them. To call out to them to to not keep doing what they're doing, to turn to the God that they've turned from. Perhaps you've moved on down the street to find great comfort in God's covenantal faithfulness even when it hurts, even when he disciplines. Perhaps today you've come like the psalmist to end on a high note, to know of the confidence there is in walking with him and him walking with you in intimate and personal care. I pray that's so. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you again for your word. Your consolations cheer our hearts and may we Give ourselves to your consolations when our cares are multiplied and are many and are heavy. And we go to your word. And we go to the example of Psalm 94 and elsewhere. And may you move us. May you move us from legitimate questions and cries. But Lord to something so much more, something so certain because of Christ, because of his death and resurrection, because of his promise to come again and to make all things right. We pray in his name. Amen. I'm so thankful for these psalms to give us words to sing in times of injustice and suffering and even discipline. So let us once again consider Psalm 94 and sing out together. Oh Lord, my God, in vengeance shine, rise up and judge the earth. Reward the proud with wrath divine, repay what they deserve. They boast and crush the innocent. They say God does not see. They kill the poor and fatherless. How long will the Who shaped the ear, not here? The God of Jacob does perceive, O fool, be wise and fear. He speaks for those who can't be heard, 
He stands for those who fall. The Lord our help will keep His word. Our God our hope will hear our call. The Lord our fortress and our defense and justice and repay. Lord, defend your inheritance, the wicked wipe away. Your people you will not forsake. If you had left me in my sin, Death would have taken hold. Your faithful love upheld me then. Your comfort filled my soul. Lord, discipline me by your grace. Help my blind eyes to see the wondrous cross that blessed place where love and justice met for me. Lord, our fortress and our defense in justice and repay. Lord, defend your inheritance, the wicked wipe away. Your peace Justice and repay. Lord, defend your inheritance, the wicked wipe away. Your people you will not Fast as the ocean, loving kindness as a flood. When the prince of life are ransom shed for us his precious blood. Oh, sing that again. Here is love, fast as the ocean, loving kindness as a flood. When the prince of a life our ransom shed for us his precious blood, and who his love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise, he will never be forgotten throughout his eternal reign. On the mount of crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide. From the floodgates of God's mercy, 
float a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers float incessant from above. Heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Grace and love like mighty rivers float incessant from above. Heaven's peace and perfect justice kiss the guilty world in love. Heaven's peace and perfect justice kiss the guilty world in From Psalm 2 and the Psalms of the 90s and really our whole Bibles, it is clear that there are really only two kinds of people in this world. There are only two eternal destinies. There are only two possible responses to Jesus and the gospel. One leads to salvation and help. The other leads to eternal trouble and misery, even if that's delayed. I've been thinking in these recent days of that old hymn, Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the King? Jesus, thou hast bought us, not with gold or gem, but with thine own lifeblood for a diadem. With thy blessing filling each who comes to thee, thou hast made us willing, thou hast made us free. By thy grand redemption, by thy grace divine, we are on the Lord's side. Savior, we are thine. Fierce may be the conflict, strong may be the foe, but the king's own army none can overthrow. Round his standard ranging, victory is secure, for his truth unchanging makes the triumph sure. Joyfully enlisting, by thy grace divine, we are on the Lord's side. Savior, we are thine. Can you say that? I pray you can. Perhaps today, for the very first time, you will say that. Perhaps you'd make that your prayer to the Lord as a first confession, as really the beginning of seeking his salvation, of confessing that you want him and you want to be on the right side of him. That's the right side of history. Well, we pray you'd know that and we pray you would seek that out and perhaps even find help if you need it. You can always email info at dscabq.com for any prayer requests or questions or any discussion. Um, if you're not yet a Christian, you've got some questions about it. We would love to hear from you. We would love to seek to help you. We can't answer every question that is out there, but we have some that we can answer for you according to God's word, and we'd love to point you there. Let us know how we can help. As for us Christians, especially in these days of uncertainty, well, and just weirdness, right? I think of Psalm 94, verse 19, 
as something worthy of our memorization. It's short, you can tuck it away, we need it accessible. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. May we memorize that, review it often, and may it drive us back to other parts of the Bible where these consolations cheer our souls in these cares.